you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 86. It is Brando. Thanks for, for joining us, joining the AFD show, whether you found us on alternativenation.net, uh, in the podcast section, on the iHeartRadio app, on Stitcher, on Spreaker, on SoundCloud. Uh, yes, on iTunes, even though um, I was one of those affected by the copyright democracy. See that episode if you want the full story. Um, people, It's still up on iTunes. There are people that, if you subscribed before, are able to still get it whenever a new episode is uploaded. Uh I don't know. It's just it's become a pain in the ass, but I'm just glad that I'm on a bunch of different platforms for you to listen and for you to join the conversation, including now uh, YouTube. Yeah, first uh, 25 episodes are up on YouTube, and that's all with the help of one Mr. Raz Q, who's doing all the the photo editing. I mean, I'm a radio guy. I know how to edit audio. I don't know how to do that other stuff. So uh, he's taking some time. He's helping me out, and... He's just been uh, been great with it. So just all you have to do is go to YouTube.com. I mean, you know YouTube. And you just type in Appetite for Distortion, and you can relive the first 25 episodes. Uh, eventually, we're all going to be caught up. Uh, but whatever platform you found us on, I'm glad that you're here. So coming up in just a few, our uh, interview for episode 86, Tanya O'Callaghan, the new basis for Adler's Appetite. It's going to be awesome talking to her in just a few minutes. But first... News. Yeah, nothing too uh, crazy shotgun news-wise. I like to keep things in real time, so it's Monday, October uh, the 8th. So the last episode that we had on uh, K.K. Downing, a former Judas Priest, and Roy Orbison Jr., it was a major jam-packed episode. First got to thank uh, Blabbermouth.net picked up a part of my K.K. Downing interview when he talked about uh, another former guest of ours, Richie Faulkner. So I kind of, I put the question, like, how do you compare, you know, maybe Richard Fortas to Izzy Stradlin, where there are a lot of, you know, us fans that th- there's a striking resemblance in the way that they look. I mean, it could just be a coincidence. I mean, there are people who look alike. But KK felt that uh, Richie was kind of a his clone a little bit. So that was picked up by Blabbermouth.net, so I appreciate that. And the, the conversation with Roy Orbison Jr., I mean, what is there to say? I mean, he just had some great Guns N' Roses stories. He, he was there for some cool moments. He has incredible perspective on especially the mu- musicality of it all. So if you uh, missed that episode, uh, please check out uh, episode 85. Um, but the reason why there's so much, there was so much time between that episode and, and now, again, it's a podcast, who cares, but I try to do it in real time, is I, I went to Woodstock. Yeah, I went to the old, um, you know, I went to the town of Woodstock in upstate New York and then drove with my girlfriend the, uh, an hour and a half to the original site of Woodstock. I, I rarely take any sort of vacation, so I figured, what's one Monday off? And I know many of you are kind of playing catch up with some episodes. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. You know what? Give me some feedback. Am I churning them out too quickly? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think that I am. Uh but the reason why I bring up Woodstock for a couple of reasons, because one, I just think it's funny that I got a Woodstock tattoo, uh, Woodstock, the little yellow bird, Snoopy's friend. And I thought it was so cliche, but apparently not uh, to get that there with a little hippie bandana around it. And I got it at uh, a place called Woodstock Tattoo. So I got a Woodstock tattoo in Woodstock at Woodstock Tattoo, and I took a picture at the original site of Woodstock. Woodstock Inception. So, but the reason I bring that up, a because of I want to keep you guys informed why there was a kind of a gap between episodes. But I'm a big tattoo guy. You know, if you if you follow me on on uh, Instagram at Bellbiv Brando, or if sometimes I post pictures on our social media at the AFD Show, Facebook or or Twitter if they're with a guest. And uh, 
episode 86, and initially this episode was going to be with Howard Tiemann. He owns uh, T-Man Studios out in, I believe, uh, Studio City, California. And some of you diehards may know his name. He did some artwork for GNR Lies, Use Your Illusion. He actually filled in for Steven Adler during that time where Steven broke his hand back in, uh, I believe it was 88. I think it was at the Whiskey that he, he played. So he has some great stories. And uh, Raz Q is actually going to help uh, co-host that. Um, but there was some mix-up with the time. But that's going to be a future episode for sure. Looking forward to talking with uh, with Howard about tattoos and and Guns N' Roses. I mean, what else is there, right? So I just want to keep you up to date with that as far as the news goes. And I also bring up Woodstock as well because I got an interesting phone call while I was there. And that was with Doug Goldstein. And, of course, you, you know Doug Goldstein, former Guns N' Roses manager. Uh, I have yet to have him on the show. It's cool that I've had some sort of relationship with former GNR managers. Uh, Alan Niven uh, has been on the show twice. You know, every now and then we exchange emails with Mitch LaFon talking hockey. Uh, and Doug, he, he went on GNR Central, did a great three-hour interview. It's like I didn't want to reach out to him right after because you probably burnt out. But he, you know, him and I kind of got to know each other a little bit uh, through initially the Gene uh, uh, R. Central guys. And it was awesome that Doug got involved with the copyright democracy stuff. He, he cares about the fans that he's no longer um, the manager of. I mean, what does that say? And if you watch the Gene R. Central episode, it was me, it was Doug. Of course, it was uh, Sid and Jeff and Miss Metal and... So, I mean, I haven't spoken publicly with Doug, but most of them have been behind the scenes of our conversations. But I want to tell you about this one because he's currently working with a foundation called Matthew's Hope. And when he does come on, I want him to really tell you about it but uh, and tell you about his story, why he's getting involved with this foundation that has to do with opioid addiction. So in the future, uh, Doug Goldstein's going to be on the AFD show and we're going to have maybe not like – you know, getting the dirt on GNR. That's not never really been my approach with anybody, but it could be a really unique perspective from him, especially, you know, he was around Slash. He was around Duff during those really bad times of addiction. Uh, and his perspective now, and I, I've i shared parts of my story with you. So uh, just be on the lookout uh, for that. Obviously, I'll announce uh, when that's going to happen. And uh, another future guest, uh, Shooter Jennings. That's supposed to happen. Uh, we're working out on a date. Uh, because he's producing some record and he wants to time it right, so he's coming full throttle with everything that he has going on. So that's supposed to happen in the future. And uh, finally, I'm so glad that I'm going to be talking to him, I believe, next episode, and that is going to be Teddy Zigzag. Yeah, Teddy Zigzag uh, is going to be a a guest of the AFD show uh, coming up, so I'm super excited for that. And also, um, I I keep forgetting, a lot of times between you and I, I think, like, I'm never going to get a guest. Like, it's not going to happen. I'm going to send all these emails out, and then all of a sudden, I get too many at a time, and I don't know <laughs> how to handle it and how to schedule it, but it's a good problem to have. Um, I'm going to interview uh, David from Junkyard. Junkyard goes way back with Guns N' Roses. If you find some uh, some old-school uh, pictures of Axel, he's actually wearing some Junkyard T-shirts. So uh, David Roach... From Junkyard, that's going to be happening uh, in a few episodes from now, so that should be a unique conversation. So all of this on the way on the uh, the AFD show. And that does it for this edition of Shotgun News. News! And now I believe the lovely Tanya O'Callaghan is uh, chiming in uh, via Skype. Tanya, and I got to make sure I get the your last name right, because I'm just... O'Callaghan, yeah, everyone o- pronounces o- it slightly different. O'Callaghan, right? Yeah, that's perfect. Oh, okay, then that's fine. I wasn't sure if the the G was silent or not, so I didn't no. want to. I didn't want to butcher it. I'm awful. I mean, I've been in radio for 15 years, and I really do prep beforehand. Even when uh, <laughs> I had to do public address announcing for like 10 year olds doing figure skating, like cute little kids, <laughs> but they all have Russian names, and I wanted oh, wow, to get them yeah. right. 
But the I Paris, yeah, yeah, uh, Paris Zelyakovsky. That's the one I yeah. remember. I was just like a little seven-year-old girl. Uh, but you, you know, just have to know the phonetics. That everything that looks like a W is a V. But I'm not good with it. But I'll so I will take my time and spell it out phonetically. But you mm-hmm. know, I'll have guests on from different countries or fans on from different countries, and mm-hmm. even though know, when I do my prep, sometimes I can screw it up. So that's yeah. Just, you know? Can't be perfect all the time. No, you can't be. And that's what I think radio is meant to be, kind of imperfect. And same thing with uh, with rock. It's kind of have exactly. this is imperfect. Raw. And I think you may have the, one of the best, um, I, what would I call it, like byline or a quote written about you. Uh, What's that? Maynard James Keenan. Oh, it's <laughs> cool, yeah. T- yeah Tanya. Funny enough. Yeah. That's actually a shortened version of his original testimonial. From I was like, dude, we can't put this whole thing up here. He wrote this big thing about how guys have balls. <laughs> and even though I don't technically have balls, my bass playing has balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what it says on your website, uh, Tanya O'Callaghan's uh, bass playing has, como se dice en español, the, the balls. balls. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I mean, that's just one of the many names you've worked with. Uh, Maynard D. Yeah. Snyder. Uh, mm-hmm. And now for our purposes, because it's a GNR-centric podcast, I like to think of it as like a six degrees of GNR <laughs> Bacons, just like how we're, you know, you're a member of Stephen Adler's band now. We've talked to members, uh, you know, Todd Kearns from Slash's band, Mike Squires, and uh, Jeff Rouse from Duff's, uh, from Loaded. Uh, I like to get all these, the family tree of, of Guns N' Roses and, and learn about all these cool characters, because they have great stories, you know, working mm-hmm. with, with, with D. Snyder and... You're you're calling from California, but obviously through your, your accent, you're you're from Alabama, right? What gave it away that I'm from the south? <laughs> you Was know, it all the shenanigans? It's you know, it's funny when I I, I posted that I was going to interview you today, and I get I mean, you must get these messages all the time. You know, be careful over I, Irish accent; you will be smitten. Uh, yeah, apparently it's so funny because everybody over here is like it's so charming and you know it's like anywhere you're from we're like really this is 33 and a turd and everyone's like okay it's so cute uh, you know like, i can't pronounce th and i'm very sarcastic but other than that it's all good no i think that's wonderful so i think i kind of want to find out you know of course what's going on with with you currently and with with or without steven because i know you're always working on a lot of different things but when you were growing up in the land of all familiar accents. Mm-hmm. So, so you grow up, obviously, you were born in uh, in Ireland? Yeah, I was born in a little town called Mullingar, County Westmeath, Ireland. It's the very middle. It's the Midlands of the Republic of Ireland. Um, so it's like in, it's the very middle. It's like Middle Earth, basically, hmm. <laughs> of Ireland. So yeah, it's a small town, but very musical town. So I didn't actually pick up a bass until I was like 17, 18, but I was always surrounded by all my friends were in bands. My dad was like working in the promoter realm for a couple different venues. So I was surrounded by it. He had an amazing vinyl collection. All my friends played music. So we are like quite a little musical town. There was famous show bands that came out of there. And the um, little Irish guy from One Direction, Niall Horan, from my town. So we have like, and we've a couple of successful, you know, um, bands over the years just solely from Mullingar so it's a, it was by default I happened to grow up in a very musical town although I didn't start playing until quite late What did you grow up listening to? If your dad was musical did you because you play a lot of different genres it's not just I do so. and I think it's like yes yeah, so kind of subconsciously I wasn't thinking about it when I was a kid but my dad was always playing finals and he's a big music fan although no one in my family actually plays an instrument um, he had all the classics, you know, Floyd and Zeppelin. And he also had like the real country, like Willie Nelson. And, you know, it's very, very diverse taste in music anyway. So that was obviously seeping into me over the years. But then I went through my own phases. Like I was big into metal. I was always big into metal when I was younger. And then I went completely 360 to the Spice Girls and then 360 <laughs> again to, to Eminem. So, you know, I really went down every avenue musically. It was a... Uh, I was quite bipolar with my musical taste throughout my teens. <laughs> I think that's fun. most of us. And I, I, that's why I <laughs> yeah. like this part. Because here it's like, all right, we all like Guns N' Roses. But we're going to like so many different like bands, not just, yeah. yeah I mean, I, Good I, music I, is good music. Like, I've never been of the whole thing of, oh, I hate pop or I hate 
country or I hate whatever, if it's a good song and it's got a, got that hook or that melody or that groove, you know, that's what music's all about. So I still, to this day, listen to everything, like everything across you- the board. Like when I'm still a big metaler at heart. Fleetwood Mac are one of my favorite bands on the planet. Hmm. I love Radiohead. I love Meshuggah. You know, it's <laughs> everything. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, I go anywhere, you know, obviously from GNR to... Hall and Oates and Backstreet Boys. It oh yeah, you know. Hall and Oates, man. And those melodies and Backstreet Boys, you kidding me? They're so catchy. I used to hate him as a teenager because you seriously, know, seriously, everyone will try and deny that, but that song will get stuck in your head. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess all my listeners are now going to think of the Backstreet Boys, so you're all welcome. You're uh, welcome. Do you remember your first concert? Was it uh, a boy band or was it you know was it no, metal? No, my first like I went to a lot of gigs, smaller, not like bigger concerts later, but I was because we had a couple of like really you know busy venues in our hometown I was always watching all sorts of bands and smaller scale but my first concert concert was Red Hot Chili Peppers oh nice in Dublin yeah and that was like holy shit (laughs) (laughs) what's happening right now it was awesome and I still didn't I actually hadn't started playing at the time um but I was a big fan of John Frusciante because of his his harmonies I was always obsessed with that at the time, I was really, really into the chilies. I had, you know, the CDs worn out. And I went to see them up in Dublin. And it was just in an, at an outdoor sports arena. And it was phenomenal. And forgive me for asking this. I like how I have a lot of ignorance towards other cultures and other parts of the world. And that's what brings us all together. Again, <laughs> is it because I mean, I'm from New- Long Island, New York. So every band comes through here. Is it difficult was it difficult to see some of your favorite acts growing up? Um, What's I mean, the, no, Dublin uh, is a good hub for it. So you are going to get on the major concert scale. We have a couple of big venues. So, But how far away are you? Like, did you grow up from, from Dublin? Oh, it's an hour. Ireland's tiny. You'll drive okay. east to see, west. I, I like, don't know. I'm just curious. Three yeah. hours, basically, like coast to coast, four hours if you want to go like way out, you know. Mm. But it's it's a small country. So, no, I grew up where my town is only an hour from Dublin. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's only you know, an hour and a half, two hours from Galway, which is tip to tip coast. So all the major concerts are generally like the, the larger concerts are Dublin and Belfast. So Belfast up north is about an hour and a half. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to get, you know, you just get on the train. That's what we did as teenagers. We got on the train and we went to Dublin to see all the bands, big clubs, small clubs. See, so, I'm just learning. I, I, I had mentioned in the um, the intro, I just I, I finally went to Woodstock. Yeah. And I, I, I thank my my girlfriend for letting me know that it's an hour and a half away from the actual Woodstock, uh, yeah. the, the town of Woodstock. You would think for me, being in classic rock radio for 15 years, I would have known that, but I guess never, I never really thought no, about it. No, we don't it. think of everything. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to drive an hour and a half just to see you yeah. know, an empty field, but it was, you know, well worth it. So that's why I'm... I'm curious. I'm learning because I've had actually uh, fans co-host certain episodes that are that are also from uh, from Ireland. I don't. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I'm wondering, uh, was what was the metal scene like? Because that's something else. Because well, I guess what we'll talk about. Obviously, you're a woman, so like metal has always been interesting towards women and especially mm-hmm. young girls. I'm a woman. <laughs> Who knows in 2018 <laughs> how what people identify with? I mean, you could have been like I want to be referred to as them. I'm like, all right, I'm Tanya. Joking. I'm just like, what's it like to be a chick in the music industry? <laughs> said no one ever to me. <laughs> I know. Oh, oh, I, oh, of course. I mean, I'm not asking The metal uh, scene. No, that's a good question. Um because Ireland actually had it's underground but had an awesome metal scene. So there's a couple of like small clubs in Dublin that were like hardcore. <laughs> like hardcore metal and it was so fun because my very first band was a really heavy metal band and um, it was right when I just picked up the bass like literally could barely play the thing and my cousin asked me to join his band and we were called Severed <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and we used to hang we used to make upside down crosses and hang them behind the obnoxious drum kit that we brought to tiny pubs awesome uh, yeah it was it was super fun so it was actually I was really like indulged in the metal scene from the start because I was a big fan of metal anyway growing up because my brother got me into um he was into music for a while and then he kind of went out of that and more into the business realm but he was listening to a lot of the heavier bands Pantera and Slayer and Mastodon and Sepultura and all that. So I was kind of like stealing his tapes and VCRs. Does mm-hmm. that make us sound old? 
No. <laughs> I had VCRs and I had uh, cassettes. I still have them. I love them. I'm old school. But yeah, so I was like really into metal anyway from the get-go. Um, and then my first band was metal. So we we did all these little mini tours in Ireland where we us and, you know, five other, five other metal bands playing in these pubs in these small towns in Ireland. And we'd rock up with these obnoxious rigs and giant drum kits. There was no need for any of it. And blast out metal. It was pretty fun. <laughs> Did your parents like you blasting the metal on the upside down and cross? Did you did they think that you were possessed by the devil or anything? <laughs> now now they you know, they look back fondly on all things, but at the time I'm sure they were like, What is she doing now? <laughs> Didn't she just like spice girls six months ago? What happened? <laughs> she you spiced up your life and you got evil. Yeah, I was like uh, and it was it was so fun though. They're some of my fondest memories because I'm still a big metaler at heart. Like, for sure, I love heavy rock and metal. But, you know, it was just, that's where I, I learned my first, you know, that was my first teacher, the stage, because I'm self-taught. So okay. being being out there and gigging and being in, in, the, in all sorts of situations. And right after that, I got a pop gig, like pop, pop, like Brian McFadden from Westlife pop. Okay. So it was super fun to, like, jump genre to genre. What, um... What made you decide the, the the bass? You know, you could have done obviously a lot of different instruments. I, I've never heard you sing. I don't know if you've tried. You know, why why the bass? Especially if well, you were into John Prashanti, why you know why not guitar? You know, when... yeah, funny because I've always been kind of. I like I said, I didn't actually pick up a bass until I was seventeen. Like actually, start playing one. I started drumming when I was about sixteen. Like I just got this kind of thing. Oh, I want to be a drummer. But I didn't own a drum kit, so I was taking a couple of lessons off a local musician. I was having a lot of fun with it. And, you know, I, I had, like, natural time and feel. But I didn't have a kit, and, you know, I wasn't really able to, to get really in, into the practice of it. And then I decided um, that I was going to leave school to be a musician, which went well with my parents. And I was <laughs> going to do this course that right. I was going to join as a drummer. This, like, little music, not like a college, just like a small town like uh, like basically an after school course and I'd signed up to be a drummer and I went in for a couple of days and they didn't have an acoustic kit they had a, a electric Roland V kit and this was like the first models of them they're you know they've obviously gotten way better since but still it's not like a real kit so I'm sitting down playing this thing I'm like this feels like shit I don't <laughs> want to do this anymore so I basically dropped my drumming career and I had seen that day, I had seen a, a local bass player playing in one of the side rooms. He was practicing and he was playing like Primus and Jacko and Tool. And I was like, whoa, what's that? Because I'd never really thought about bass outside of the context of like rock and roll or seen covers bands where mm -hmm. it never really stood out to me. And okay. then I seen him play and I was like, whoa. He's doing all this like melodic stuff, harmonics, like all these really prominent bass lines. And I was just mesmerized. And I asked if I could switch to bass that day and the rest is history. <laughs> I guess you just liked it. I guess it was fate because you, cause you tried drums. I always loved rhythm. Yeah, there was like, I do always remember that. Even though I didn't play when I was younger, I was always drawn to rhythm and just groove and anything kind of groove oriented. So yeah, it was, I guess it was kind of in a way written in the stars, but I just got to it late. Hmm. So how long were you in Ireland until you decided to to move to the States? Did you, because you obviously quit school, you were dedicated, hey, this is going to be my, my life. Were you trying <laughs> to start a band? Were you, I mean, I, you said you, you joined that pop band, but were you ideally looking for a band to join or start your own? You know, I was always just like going with, I just knew that I wanted to follow this bizarre idea path I had. And I was in, from the get-go, I was in multiple bands. I was always like that. I had always more than two or three bands that I was a part of or working with or whatever. So I basically gigged around my late teens. I was just, you know, gigging with my metal band and I started to join like, I was in like a wedding corporate band. So that was a great teacher because I had to learn a lot of covers, you know, like the top 40 stuff for that. So I I'd started to earn, like people were paying me to be in bands. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> so I joined another band, another band. I always had like a few original bands on the go and a few corporate things because it was all I did. Like I was just playing music. Um, so I did that for, you know, my late teens, early 20s. And I was still only really learning at this point because, you know, it takes a couple of years to just get your hands around the instrument. But the, 
the good thing at the start was right from the get-go, I joined bands. Like, literally, I had a, after three months of starting to play, I was in a band. <laughs> so I learned quick, like, a lot of songs and, like, how to, you know, deal with touring, even just, like, on a small scale. And just being in bands, being in studios, I jumped in the deep end really young with all of that. So that's usually stuff that you kind of learn a, a lot down the road. So I did that all in through my early 20s, and then I started to like go to London, I, you know, started to get curious about other scenes, but I was starting to get sort of bigger gigs per se. And I, I landed this pop thing and I was doing the TV show backing bands, like the Saturday night shows where, you know, there's a band and all the okay. guests come out. Oh, okay. I did. Yeah. I started doing stuff like that. And off the back of those, you would get a, you know, say an artist was on the Saturday night show, then they might hire the band mm. for a couple of shows they have so that started to spiral out and oh, it cool. would come and go and I was in a bunch of corporate bands and then I decided I wanted to check out the London scene so I went over there back and forth for a minute but it never really resonated with me and then I ended up doing the session for Maynard because I was at a tool show um, in Scotland with a bunch of friends from Ireland we used to go and go to all these festivals all over Europe and I I knew some of the crew from the show so I was got talking to them after and Maynard asked me to do a bass on a Pussifer track, you mm. know, just like casually in passing. It's like, hey, do you want to play on my record? I'm like, sure. <laughs> yeah, let me check my diary. Like, fuck yeah. <laughs> so let me that, think about I it, yes. Like, I don't know what I was, maybe like 23. Mm. And I, he, you know, was like, yeah, yeah, we're doing this thing. And it's a lot of guests because that's the whole thing. It's like a rotating door. There's a lot of people on those records. So two of them were on tour for the rest of that summer. So it was just kind of a you know casual exchange of, hey, yeah, I'll be in touch. Uh, so I go back to Ireland like, holy shit, Maynard asked me to do a track. And nothing actually happened for about six months or maybe more. And in, in the meantime, I was just working away. And then I got the email saying, hey, we're recording in Arizona on these dates. Do you want to come? And I just booked a flight within like 10 minutes of getting the email. I was like, yep, I'm there. And that was the catalyst for everything to this day. Because when I came over, I hadn't obviously didn't come near L.A. that time. I went to Arizona and recorded with him and Josh Eustace, who was the producer on the record we did, who was from a group called Telephone Tel Aviv. And they had added so many amazing people to that record. And I basically went to write and record from scratch with them in Maynard's garage. So it was really bizarre wow. to fly in and do that. And it was wonderful because it was my first experience to like, oh, there was no plan. There was no demos. There was nothing. It was just like, let's go and see what comes out. So I ended up co-writing and recording a couple of songs and two were released. So that's awesome. And especially so, for, with, to do that with Maynard James Keenan, who's... You know, really quite an, an enigma and, and really just, I think, an icon in, in the field. I know there's a lot of jokes now how the new tool record has become the new Chinese democracy. You know, Chinese yeah. democracy was the joke, but now it's like, when's the new tool record coming out? What is he like in person? You know, he just seems like a yeah, really he funny gets a, guy. He gets a bad rap off a lot of people, but it's he's he's ridiculously intelligent. Like, he's one of those humans that's just super smart, and they all like to keep you know, more of an underground persona, which I think is great. That's like the old school way, like sure. that kind of, you know, everything is so in your face and social media these days and everyone wants to be like famous in the forefront. See, he's the opposite. He's mm -hmm. a very private person. So, yeah, he's, he's just super, super smart, incredibly talented. Like his ability with melodies is just mind blowing. Like I'll, I'll never forget when we sat down it was me and josh like writing chipping away at stuff during the day and maynard's working on the vineyard you know and then he'd come in and do a vocal i was so, gonna you ask know. you about the wine at some point but <laughs> yeah, I yeah, got yeah. it <laughs> it's his, that's his main thing like he loves it so much wow. and he's incredible at it so we were actually on one of the vineyards at where the where we were recording and um yeah he would come in in the evening and we'd be like hey we have this and we have this you want to try and sing to it and then you know he opens his mouth and sings and you're like holy shit <laughs> his voice is just incredible and he's sitting right there so he was wonderful and it was just for me i'll be forever grateful to him because i don't think he even understands to this day i've said it to him a couple of times like it seems something so small to just invite guests but it really was a catalyst for me to show me what I can potentially do by, you know, coming over to the U.S. and getting in on these scenes. 
And just like little old me from this tiny town in Ireland is sitting in Arizona recording one of my musical idols. So it was all around a wonderful experience. And he was great. And he was super accommodating to all of us. And, you know, we wrote, um, he released Polar Bear and Toma, which I'm on both of those songs. And yeah, they're awesome. And it was, it was just such a learning curve for me as well, just to be in that situation. I, I love how you, you, the tone of your voice, it still sounds like it's surreal to you, even though it's, yeah. if, it's like you still can't believe it. Yeah, and, it's funny because I was still like, you know, I wasn't that experienced as a musician when I did that. And sometimes I think, God, I wish I could do it now when I'm like a seasoned pro per se. But when I think back to like even my gear that I brought over, I'm like, I can't believe I brought that bass. <laughs> <laughs> What do you but, think it was then? Do like what is it about you? Because I guess they could have gotten a more. And I Slash did a recent interview about this. How all those lists talk about technically proficient, and Slash isn't the most technically proficient, but he has the mm. the passion and his his sound is undeniable. So is there was there something about like that with you? Like you weren't the most technically proficient at that point. You were still young. What stood yeah, out? I th- do you think? I think it was well, definitely for because the whole thing with Pulsifer with that particular project, he for the albums, like they have a live band, which is the guys from um, APC basically who are amazing. Um, but he kind of really wanted all the records to be this, you know, revolving door of guests. Like even Mila Jokovic is on there singing the actress, and there's like so many people I do not on know that. it. Okay. So you, I think, just you know. I would do the same if I was like out and about touring and you was doing the same type of record and you, I guess you just meet characters and he could probably just see that I was like really keen to play. And I was actually talking to them about at the time I was going through this obsessive phase of conical Indian rhythms. And I was talking to Danny Carey about it because Danny has a lot of that Indian influence in his drumming. And, you know, I'm just kind of standing in the green room talking to them about, conical rhythms while all the other fans are like fangirling and freaking out and like nerding out about time signatures so i guess i guess that was maybe one thing that gave it away oh god she's really into unusual music so yeah it was kind of just you know time right time right place like what are the odds and i remember i wasn't even gonna go to that show because i had just had glandular fever i was really sick mm. and i was like oh i should give my ticket away and i went and my god am i glad i went <laughs> Wow, you know, fate, you know, what divine wow. intervention, whatever you want to call it. I'm, you know, I, you're, we're we're glad that you did, you know, because yeah. I, I, you know, I put up that you, I was going to talk to you today. Uh, some fans wanted to chime in, and I mean, these people seem to be uh, smitten by you. One of you, they saw you in uh, in Massachusetts, uh, the, your New Bedford show. Oh uh, yeah, we just just back from that. Yeah. Yeah. How was the audience there? This is from uh, they Nick were Hart. Great. They were great. I had such a good time because you never know, like, you know, I've been bouncing around with so many bands over the years and you're kind of doing one minute you're doing giant festivals with whoever and then you're doing like small clubs and then you're doing corporate. So it's always, you know, you're kind of like, okay, I'm just playing at this venue tonight and we, it's a small town, which is like where I'm from. So I always love going to small towns and we got in early that day to do a sound check because the whole band are actually from like living in different states. So we don't rehearse. We just meet at the gig and we go. <laughs> <laughs> so we always try and get like a sound check so we can run anything new or whatever. So we had the day to walk around after sound check. So it was really cool. And the crowd were awesome. There were, it just, I love playing in places like that, especially and just in the rock realm, how that, that type of fan base like they just keep rock and roll alive they love it so much and you look out in the audience and you're like yeah Mm. (laughs) like devil horns everywhere (laughs) all the t-shirts and one guy had like cassette tapes to bring and sign and it was like yes this is epic (laughs) it was super fun and the people were all super nice it was it was you know that resonates with me a lot because i'm from a small town i gotcha and and, because it made me think of you know because i know i I jumped uh i had a bunch of steps but what maynard uh, was doing with, with Pussifer trying to get a, a nice, you know, group of people, ever changing members, and obviously it made me think of Adler's Appetite and mm-hmm. the, the kind of people that he he gets uh, to play with him throughout the years. You know, whether yeah. uh, former guest and friend of the show Alex Grassi and Chips Enough. Uh, yeah. We did interview um, uh, Constantine Maroulis, uh Yeah, yeah. Who was the singer very briefly? I don't know. You weren't in the band with him, or I wasn't. No, I know Constantine though. Um, he was doing. He did like the run before this in he's Australia. Had, 
Yeah, because the thing about the, well, for starters, the types of players that are in most of this band, all of us are, you know, hired guns, we're session players. So we can be in multiple bands at times and we can't always be at every gig. So quite often it rotates in and out. But yeah, I've see, I've known Adler for years and we've played together at jam nights and we've crossed paths and, you know, we tried to align before, but I was out with D or I was doing this or I was doing that. And he, you know. So it's it's quite common in this realm for like there to be new players rotating because some of us are in multiple bands. But yeah, everyone he has. Like, I mean, uh, I know Sean well, the bass player that was on the last run, Sean McNabb. He's a wonderful, amazing, amazing bass player. And Constantine's such a badass as well. He's he's kind of more in the theater realm of things now. Right. I think he's doing more shows and stuff. And then Ari, who he has now, is like, if you're going to do GNR, I mean, the guy is basically Axl Rose from the team so <laughs> yeah tell us so like who is the exactly the band now and is it going to be like this for a while or you don't know uh, well you never know in this realm but as far as i know yes for the, at least for the rest of the year because i know michael the our lead guitarist michael thomas has been with Stephen for a long time like he's been there pretty much from the start he's awesome he was he did a couple gigs i know like he did faster pussycats for a while but he's been with adler for a long time um, so he's like him and Stephen have been together the longest, um, Michael Thomas, that is. And then myself and um, uh, AJ Alistair um, James, who's from he's a Las Vegas based guitarist. He came in same as me. And so did um, Ari. Ari will come in the singer. So the three of us, it was like Michael was from the last lineup and then three new rotations let's call it <laughs> <laughs> the new rotations so we you know did three california so we actually only have done four shows together with this particular lineup um so yeah it's and it's been great and it's everybody is literally like michael lives in texas aj lives in vegas ari lives in argentina <laughs> <laughs> and me and steven live in la so you can imagine coordinating us getting to uh, places i know and sometimes that's why i kind of i always understand when i try to coordinate interviews it's like i know it could be so much harder and mm-hmm. what musicians have to deal with so that's why it's like whenever you can uh you know i'll try my best to work around your <laughs> your schedule so then since you knew steven beforehand how did it him recruiting you for his current lineup happened how did that come about well his um tm and who's also like tour manager who's basically like a close friend of his for years we've known each other sort of from the la scene and i remember a long time ago we like we'd bump into each other out and about and he'd say oh, i gotta see you play with adler i gotta see you play with adler and we'd end up we did a jam night for like a fundraiser once and me and steven played together and then la and no, it wasn't even last year was that the six, um... Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, so, sorry. Was that the Rock Against MS show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock Against okay. MS. Yeah. And my friend Nancy does those. So I've played them a bunch with different lines because that's like a real like you just jam. You know, it's like, here's your song. See you on the night. So we had played at those together. And then Steve, um, who's the TM, had said to me, oh, there's this thing coming up. This is a couple of months back. And I was actually filling in with Bisto Blanco as well at the time. So I was playing this ride for Ronnie James Dio, this thing in L.A. Yeah. With. Bisto Blanco, which is Chuck from Alice Cooper's band, and the bass player from Alice Cooper's band and Alice Cooper's daughter, Calico Cooper, have a band, an awesome band. And I was doing this L.A. show with them. And in the same gig, Adler's Appetite asked me to come in because Sean was busy with Lynch Mob, I believe. Okay. So I was like, sure, I'm playing the same day anyway. So I ended up playing with both bands on the same bill. (laughs) You're a workhorse. (laughs) Yeah, oh my God, I never, I learned so many bloody songs that week. It was hilarious. <laughs> so after that, like myself and Stephen really locked in as a rhythm section and, you know, he was just liking it. And there was, show. There's it's it's kind of just works this way in this realm. Who can do this show and that show? And it was kind of, a you know, checking everyone's calendars. And then they were doing a Aussie run. Uh, about a week after that, they were going to Australia and I was still doing stuff with D. And then they came back from the Australia show. I think that was just a two-week run. And then I think Constantine was going to do a Broadway show or something. And Sean was doing Lynch Bob. And I think Stephen was keen to book these Cali shows. And then they just called me and they're like, hey, can you do these? And at first I couldn't. And then I could. And I was like, sweet. So it just aligned. It just eventually aligned. And we just have a lot of fun as a rhythm section. So um, it's it's a blast for me to play with Stephen. And, you know, it's not – I actually – 
It's funny because I obviously knew Guns N' Roses growing up, but I was never into them. Okay. Not that I wasn't. I just never really kind of didn't come on my radar. Most of my brother was big into them. So I was thinking, you know, it's part of my life learning songs last minute. I'm like, OK, you know, it's it's that 80s rock, 90s rock realm. I'll give myself a couple of days and start scanning because I was doing a bunch of gigs. And then I sat down to learn them and I was like, wow, these songs are complicated. <laughs> I need more time. So it was a real learning curve for me to like Duff's bass lines are pretty jazzy, like jazzy arrangements, which is cool um, and just really unusual compositions. So it was, you know, it was good shedding for me to learn the G&R back catalogue. Mm. But uh, I've been having a blast with it because bass is really prominent in this gig. Like there's a lot of like epic bass parts. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I was kind of excited to see, you know, you join the band and, you know, I kept reading all these different comments about people who knew you from other bands. Say, oh, wow, I'm so glad Stephen Hauser involved and what she can bring to uh, the band. And the reason why I even knew um, Rock Against uh, MS, I'm not going to take credit for that. Uh, Alex Mendoza, who I guess oh, met, yeah. who met you at that show and his question, he wanted to submit a question to you. And it might, the response might be interesting since you, I guess GNR wasn't on your radar. You never really went out of your way to deep dive into them until recently. Do you have a favorite? Gnar song or album uh, right um, now? To play now, yeah, that's so funny because like I think I'm the only person ever that didn't know already how to play Sweet Child. <laughs> she sit down and learn it. I was like, oh my god, I've never, I've never played this. How weird. Um, right now, I think I love playing Anything Goes because it's really bassy. Awesome. Yeah, and there, there's there's a couple like in there that it'd, it'd be a hard choice now that I've gotten because when you're in the first phase of like learning the songs, it's like a, it's a workload. You're in that like shedding mode. And then when you get to gigging, that's when you start to have fun with it. So, yeah, I, I have pretty much our entire set list. I have a lot of fun with because it is very bassy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. It was funny. He's right, because I didn't actually have like, oh, I kind of, you know, know half of the set already. I didn't know any GNR songs at all on the bass. So I think, yeah, I, I definitely, anything goes and like Mr. Brownstone there. Um, Civil War for me is actually one of my favorites to play because it's it's actually a simple, simpler song technically, but it rhythmically, drums and bass, there's a lot of pushes in it. And it's really fun when I lock in on that kind of stuff. Um, and then, I mean, Rocket Queen is all bass. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of, there's no particular particular song because they're all fun bass live. And it's it's this, it's a workout on bass, playing, Adler, playing with Adler. It's a real workout. It's not like I have many breaks in the set where I'm like, oh, this is an easy song. <laughs> what was your, um, what was the first time meeting him? Did you meet him as, because it seems like he's like your friend, Stephen, as opposed to when, you met Maynard and it's like, holy shit. Oh, yeah, because the LAC, I mean, it's even now. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like a boss scenario or anything like we, you know, we I hang out with him and his wife, go for lunch, dinner all the time. We'll just hang um, because I know him from before. Not like we in L.A., you cross paths a lot with all these artists. So it's like, oh, hey, hey, you know, you meet at a jam nights, you meet at the studio, you meet at whatever mm-hmm. gigs and venues. So you know, we already had a foundation there of kind of knowing each other. And then the minute we started playing, it was like, you know, God, we've been friends for forever. So, and that's also a rhythm section thing. You know, it's, that's a common thing with, and it's fun in this scenario for the, the main person to be the drummer. Cause you know, usually mostly it's like you're, you're playing behind singers, Maynard right. or D or whatever. For me to have Adder as like the boss man on this gig, is you know the rhythm section are, are ruling the roost basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fair point i didn't even think about yeah. it that way so that's definitely a, a unique perspective because you're right most bands aren't like that the front man is a front man it's not the mm-hmm. behind the kit man so. yeah exactly so it's really unusual and it's great to watch because he has such an incredible fan base universally again it's not something i really knew about i didn't really know much about him or his full story before we really started to work together and it's it's wonderful to see fans be so loyal over the years for the drummer. I think that that's wonderful. It just goes to show how prevalent of a, a part he played in the band, you know, and being being there at the start from the start. So I think a lot of it has to do with personality, and I think that big time relates Big-time. to you. We well, you know why you've been so successful, especially early on when you, 
you know, didn't have a lot of years under your belt, but it's a personality that just that comes across that you don't need. Oh, to, big time! Yeah, that you don't it's, need to. It's be, a huge mm-hmm. factor because if people want to be around good and nice and solid people, and it's as we say in this industry, which you'll hear a lot, like it's all about the hang. It's all about the hang. It's almost <laughs> like more prominent than everything else. It's like because you're gonna. You, it's an unusual game, you know. You spend a lot of time in airports, on buses, in hotels, you know, with these people that become your family. And if anybody has, a, you know, a personality type that's someone you don't want to be around, it makes life really hard on the road. So it's definitely with Stephen, like he is, he gives so much of himself and his time to everybody. There's no like, there's no ego or rock stardom to him at all, which is great because he's so approachable and he, in fact, approaches everybody and hugs everybody. (laughs) So, you know, people want to see him do well and want to continue to support him, which is wonderful. Sure. So, I mean, this seems like, uh, you know, good vibes all around. The shows are getting good reviews. What is the future? I know it's difficult to tell. I mean, like when I asked Constantine, he's like... We'll see you after Australia, and obviously he's not yeah, in the band yeah, yeah. anymore. So I mean, I I know you can only know so much or say so much. Do you? What do you feel the well, future is for this? We version? have, um, we definitely have a couple of shows before the end of the year. I think because they're switching over bookers is another thing that happens in this industry. So you know that's not really a realm I get involved in. So I know that we have like maybe five or six more shows, November, December. So he like he wants to do like fly dates instead of like runs. That's kind of what we're doing at the moment. So those kind of you go out for a long weekend, come back two weekends a month, do that sort of thing. So to test in the waters with that, we have some shows booked in December. I think there's four or five shows. And then after that, as far as I know, they want to because they're changing over to a new agency. So that takes a minute to like organize. And then he wants to go out full on next year he really wants to do it so we'll see um and he's fun to play with so i hope it aligns you know i hope i can kind of do it all <laughs> i want to do all the bands <laughs> <laughs> i think that's great i want all the bands yeah no I... it's funny it is funny in this industry though because sometimes things clash and it's really hard to make a decision because obviously you have to think as a professional i have to earn and what you know is what's potentially the better gig for you but then you're in a situation where i've been so lucky to play with people that I still to this day regard as friends so if dates come in the class you're like no mm-hmm. <laughs> no <laughs> no it's all right that's why I'm, I'm amazed that like Slash I mean after he's done with Guns N' Roses now he's doing his own thing with Miles Kennedy and it's like yeah, how do you yeah, find amazing how do you amazing. find all this this the, the, the time to do it so I guess it goes back to one of the first questions I asked you do you want like what do you want at this point for for Tanya? Are you are you happy playing with your your friends doing maybe different runs with different bands, or do you ever want the you know Tanya O'Callaghan experience? You know. <laughs> well, I'm actually working on a couple of things myself. Okay. Home, which is fun. I always like I love being you know a session player and bouncing around, but it does get exhausting as well because you're having to learn a lot of music last minute and constantly jumping ship. Right. Music wise, I would love to in the next few years based over here, like just land that like one consistent tour. That's like, you know, the stadium tours that I love so much, but one that's like goes out enough, but it's not gone all the time. You want a tour for me personally, I want to tour like three, four months of the year kind of thing. And then have the rest of the year to push your stuff because touring at that level is so intense. You basically stop doing everything else tour, 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 tour. But then you have a chunk of the year left because I'm just starting to work on my own music. I'm also working on a travel food show with some really cool people. I'm a massive foodie. Nice. And I I love traveling anyway outside of music. So I'm pitching a show with some really, really cool people involved. Myself and um, Derek Green from Sepultura are going to collaborate on this mega project i can't really talk too much about but it's going to be a lot of fun so there i mean is it going to be a metal food show or you can't say anything yet i can't say a whole lot right, right. now because we're, get, we're getting like basically the people who are going to be involved there's a lot of very cool guests but it's going to be you know a bit of everything well, you... a bit of everything but we're both we've both been so busy with our touring that we're like trying to get back to LA now and like write out the plan and do all the fun stuff so i have a lot going on anyway and finally writing my own music so um i would like to keep being able to play with my friends like this and doing these fun fly dates 
but at some point it would be nice to get back in the longer consistent run and who knows who that will be with you know I mean I could I could list all the bands that I want to play with but <laughs> we'll see <laughs> you know I've been doing pretty well I have to remind myself because it's a frustrating industry because it's amazing in so many ways but it's a hustle non-stop like you look you know what people see when we were on stage and all is is the fun part and that's why we do it but that you know it's still that reality of like it's hard to survive in the music industry even when you're you know, the busy one like me, it's still, it's still a hard game. So you're constantly having to think 10 steps ahead to make sure that, you know, everything is lined up. And obviously I'm not from here. So I have like a lot of visa stuff to deal with. Uh. That costs a lot of money. And there's, you know, so you're really having to put your eggs in many baskets and figure out the game. <laughs> yeah. This country's uh, immigration policy is awesome. <laughs> I can't imagine what you're dealing with though. <laughs> I said that sarcastically. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, just not to sidebar too much, but, uh, my girlfriend's friend who's from, um, like Malaysia, she's been here for like a decade and she's still having problems. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, but I can't it's like, ma- it's like anything when it becomes about money because I have no problem you know, I, I understand it has to be a process. I have no problem doing the visa application. But in the few years I've been here, it's become more and more about money. That's what's frustrating. Like the fees are hiking at an exponential rate that is just unrealistic for any artist. And it's what's crippling artists because you want to be here and you're basically the types of visas that we're on. Or you have to prove that you're you know, very prominent in your field and whatever. And I have all the support I could dream of, of letters of recommendation from all these epic friends of mine. But still, it's just at the end of the day, it comes down to these crazy numbers, which I won't even get into. It's just disturbing how much they charge for visas these days. Just get Maynard to send them some wine and, you know. Yeah, so here's it, some wine, I'm yeah. sure. But they don't. But that's the thing. It's not. It's, it becomes, you know. It's, it's not a person. It's an entity. It's bureaucracy. And it's just this whole thing now of the flashiest lawyer, the whatever but it, it is what it is and it's like mm. you know if 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 it was easy everybody would do it i don't mind having to do the process but it shouldn't be made to be this constant hurdle especially after being here so long and like establishing the fact that you're obviously able to do what you said you would come here and do oh <laughs> uh, i can't imagine so, and, the, uh, you know pay i yeah. do it all i'm so above board like i, I pay my taxes before anybody else in the u.s <laughs> i do it all no i it's got you funny. i kind of identify in my own way and you know and i'm sure the listeners can in their, in their own experiences but radio is kind of like being in music just with a lot yeah, less group of course it's all the arts yeah a lot less groupies but it's just it, it seems <laughs> you know glamorous getting to talk to celebrities but I wake up at all different hours, different shifts, different yeah. shows, you know, 15 years. I'm not, there's one Howard Stern. He has all the money. The rest of right. us yeah, yeah, don't yeah. have anything. <laughs> and uh, I, I, know. Can, I can only relate to you as far as um, what you're dealing with with the visas is uh, I have a neurological disability because we were talking about um, you know, the charity event you've done with your uh, mm-hmm. with MS. Mine's like a neurological version of MS. So right. even here in in the city, I had to get a a different handicap sticker than the one in New York State because I guess you can be oh, handicapped geez. in different areas in the state, whatever. Oh, my God. So Seriously? So in, in order to get mine, not just get it, the New York City one, to get it renewed, I was rejected several times. Oh, my God. Like, Seriously? It's like, what am I supposed to do? You know? But, yeah. But it's like, I, here's another hurdle. Jump this hurdle, too. Until I threatened going to uh, my congressperson, and then they're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like the, the stress that you get from your job, you obviously, you know, uh, being in the music field and me being in radio, it's all the other outside noise. We do our best with it. But um, I guess some people say that I'm successful. I don't I, I don't see it, but I have people tell me I mean, I'm humble. It seems to be the same thing about you. You're, 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 you're very always. successful. Uh, but yeah, you're just humble. Like I, I, I think it just depends on how people rate success. Like, I mean, I sometimes have to right. pinch myself who I've managed to play with and I'm still young <laughs> it's like, what? and it's wonderful. But yeah, the reality is it's funny because people, you know, see your posts and come to shows and I'm very optimistic. I try to keep everything positive. But at the end of the day, it's people presume because the person you're playing with may have a mansion in the hills or whatever. The band does not. The band are hired guns. No, I mean, I mean D. Snyder's still working his ass off. You know, Adler's awesome. working his ass. Yes, yeah. they're all working their ass off, and they—that's the thing. It's the same for them. Like these people are still working hard, and yes, of course they've set up lives for themselves. 
but they also want him. That's what I've been lucky to the last couple of years working with D, especially like just watching his desire to want to still rock is so awesome. And he's just so fun to play with. And he's so fit and he's so like, he's so on top of his game. It's not <laughs> like he's burnt out and having to gig. He wants to, and it's just super fun. And same with Steven. Steven wants like all the, you know, the crap aside of like dealing with the music industry and blah, 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 blah. When we get up there and play, that's why we still do it. The minute you play, you're like, this is why we do it. <laughs> are you going to come back to uh, Dee's hometown, my hometown, Long Island? Are you going to be back here I tour? hope so. I mean, we're talking about, um, I think, because we had some mix-up with shows recently on the East Coast because of the switchover with Booker's, but I believe we'll be back on the East Coast. Maybe not the end of this year, but early next year. All of us want to, that's for sure. <laughs> right. That, so we'll you see. Know, with Steven or with Dee, because, again, I, you have so many different... Uh, I know. Cookie Where, where's she gonna be? I just kind of like leave this mystery pop-up thing. It's like there she is. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, well, I, well at least we can follow you in it. It was pretty funny in all places of New Bedford. I, I, we're standing outside after they're taking the gear out, and I was waiting for their for our driver. And uh, <laughs> this guy came over, and he's like, "Hey, you know, I've been a fan of yours for years, and I just happened to be in town. He's from South Africa, and he walked into the gig, and he was like, "Holy shit!" there's Tanya <laughs> and he was like I had no idea you were playing I was like yeah I just like to pop up you know in all these bands um, but the East Coast I think we are supposed to be going back with Adler okay at some point so I mean as soon as I get dates because you know a lot of the time we just get emails saying block these dates or are you free these dates and then the details come in a little after so when I get any flyers or that, I'll, I'll post on social media cool because uh, I definitely would love to uh, to meet you in person. I mean, I want to see Stephen Adler's show. I haven't seen any version. Are you in the city? Uh, I live on Long Island, work in the city. Oh, you're Long Island. Cool, yeah. Huntington, Long Island. I know it's not as cool as Huntington, I'm trying California. to remember where we played with D there last year. Uh, um, was oh, it the Paramount? The theater called? The Paramount Theater? Yes, the Paramount. Oh, that's 15 minutes from my apartment. Yeah, I played there with D. Oh, God, how long ago now? Time is flying. Was it the start of this year, maybe? I think so, yeah. I forget. Wow. Actually, I think Slash is supposed to play there tomorrow, but it's sold out in two seconds, and wow. I can't even get handicap seats to it, so I'm kind of uh, bummed wow. out. Yeah, yeah. Just, just I, do, I, the ra- do the radio thing, you know. You need to do an interview. Get your ass in there. <laughs> I'm trying. Believe me, you know, between you, me, and whoever's listening, I've been trying to get uh, Slash in the show. I did interview his son, uh, London. Right. So that's, oh, awesome. <laughs> that's something. Uh, but yeah. if you do play the Paramount, I'm hoping you can get me, uh, you know, Give me the oh, if, I, if I'm in the Paramount, just holler and I'll bring you in, don't worry. <laughs> I appreciate it. In the meantime, <laughs> well, you know, you're always popping up on uh, on Instagram at Tanya O'Callaghan underscore official. You know, um, That's me. Is, is that the best place for people to find you? Yeah, definitely, because I'm like, I have this love-hate relationship with social media. It's amazing yep. in ways, obviously, and to stay in touch with people, but I deleted like... One of my Facebooks, I deleted my Twitter. I can't, I just, I like the real world too much. I like people and conversation. (laughs) I love having the platform, but I decided basically I would focus on one this year. So my Instagram is the one I will actually be on the most. Okay. So yeah, it's Tanya O'Callaghan underscore official. I do have Facebook, but I'm just kind of brutal with it <laughs> so i get all the time people are like i sent you a message and you never replied i'm like i'm so sorry i'm actually way nicer in person i promise <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad i hit you up on instagram then because i would have been yeah like, uh... instagram is definitely the best and then i obviously have my website and that's which t- is just my name but um so that's kept fairly up to date but instagram for interaction purposes yeah i'm there i post there the most for sure do you get um that's what I've been getting from like some fans, but do, do you get uh, you have to get harassers? Yeah, I get some really funny, funny messages. <laughs> I mean, women in general are treated like garbage, uh, which is it's, but, it's funny. You know, I've been lucky over the years, I've had some kind of stalker scenarios, that, but you know, you just don't interact, you just be careful. But you, I also get which is kind of cool, like in a way, it's it's like a backhanded compliment because you get a lot of guys reaching out who are like. Oh, I think you're hot, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, but you're actually an amazing bass player. <laughs> yeah. And that shit just rolls off my back because I've been listening to it since I was a teenager. Like, but you're great for a girl. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> great, funny. Great for a girl. Like, well, yeah, it's pretty funny. I get the but, messages uh, like that. Like, she's so awesome. Like, oh, cool. Did you, like, did you get to meet her? I was too intimidated to meet her. 
I know, know. that's so funny because I'm actually a total nerd goofball. <laughs> like, I'm not at all intimidating. I don't think so anyway. But, uh, yeah, it's funny. You do definitely get, like, there's some crazy people out there, but there's also a lot of awesome people. So I try to just interact with the more awesome ones. But, you know, I'm, I'm very humbled a lot by, like, even this morning I woke up to a bunch of mail just about that show because you can email me via the site. Um, and I always get really wonderful feedback from people who either just didn't know I was going to be on that gig or people who had been following me before, just bass players and a lot of, a lot of female musicians, which I always love to see, you know, going, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking about trying to have a career in music, any advice and kids of parents of kids who want to do music. So I try to, you know, interact as much as possible and reply, but it's very, you know, it's very humbling for me because I'm still just like me from my little town in Ireland. <laughs> So does that, um, since you are just you, do you ever, do you want to be looked up to as a, a, a woman bass player or just a bass player? Just a bass player. I think we need to normalize all of these divides. And that applies to everything, music, yeah. politics, religion, dietary choices. Like, we need to just normalize. I think people in general, we just forget how much we have in common and we focus on the stuff that we don't. So we put too much emphasis and I, I, with bass playing, I'm like, I'm just a bass player. Right. That's it. Like you can you, you judge me as you want on my bass playing as a bass player, but I don't want to be categorized for, you know, specific body parts <laughs> <laughs> because I actually don't play the bass with them. So <laughs> <laughs> That would be interesting. But uh, the only body part I will comment on is your hair is awesome. It's very big. <laughs> Is that uh, braids, dreads? Like what? Dreads. Is... I've had dreads. dreads. They're all mine. It's all my hair. People think that I like tie it in for shows. I have had dreads for 11 years and they're super long and they're definitely part of this. I forget because obviously they're just part of me and I've had them forever, but I have people coming up all the time. It's like, it's like an art piece on your head. <laughs> it's awesome. Just like this uh, you know, little white Irish girl with dreads. I love it. Yeah, it's fun because, you know, I like to rock out for anyone who's seen me with these kind of bands. I... I'm not shy on stage, that's for sure. So the hair just adds a whole other dramatic effect that I don't think about. But it's when I see the photos after, I'm like, Jesus, I look like a predator. (laughs) 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 It's pretty funny. I'm like, whoa, it's very uh, charming pose there. (laughs) It's great. No, it's definitely a staple, just like Stephen and his, uh, you know, his Farrah Fawcett hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's a staple. But no, this has been a pleasure. And I guess... Think of you as just Tanya, just a you know very cool person, you know nothing really to to add to. And you've worked with so many awesome people, and you're you're still young. Uh, that's what I tell myself too. I just turned thirty five, <laughs> and I'm like plucking grays out of my beard. Oh, you're a baby. We're babies. That's what they say. That's what they say. You gotta look after yourself. Just look after yourself, and then you'll stay young for a long time, mentally and physically. I think so. I still watch cartoons, so I'm staying. <laughs> it's good. You'll always be a child inside, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Eat, eat your greens and do your bit of exercise and get some fresh air, and you'll be all good. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's what I am. No, I'm kind of like the mother in the bands. It's pretty funny. I always I'm a bit say, of an old soul. I'm like, do we have veggies on the rider? <laughs> <laughs> no, me too. I'm always, uh, I'm, I always say, I think I just said it to my girlfriend, I'm the neurotic Jewish mother. She's like, I'm tired. Yeah. I'm like, are you okay? Maybe you have, uh, you know, you're oh, bitten by a tick. Are you okay? Maybe you should see a doctor. I'm like, it's, yeah, it's, oh, yeah, I, I have. It's funny because you're in New York. I have like my Jewish family in New York that I tell everyone about. I love them so much. So the guitars that I play, the basses are Sadowski, which are all built in New York. Um, amazing, amazing luthier for anyone in New York that doesn't know that he's there. Roger Sadowski is the don of base builders, but him and his wife, who I'm very close with, and when I pass through town, they take me in, and it's the same. They're just like I came back off tour with like food poisoning from South America, and the two of them were just being my Jewish mothers. <laughs> like, oh, no, making me broth and making sure I had. <laughs> so funny. We're caretakers. So, we're caretakers, and hopefully, yeah, uh, you guys it, are. It's awesome. And hopefully this interview took care of you. Hopefully you uh, enjoyed yourself. I know you had a lot to, to get to, obviously, because we've been talking about how many cookie jars you have your, your hand in. And I'm just looking forward to, you know, what's coming. Your The, the food show, Adler Dates, your, your solo project. And uh, if you ever want to come back on, you're more than welcome if you're in New York in studio. And if you want to bring one of your Adler Appetite members on next time. Oh, for sure. You can be like, you can play co-host. So if you want to interview like Ariel or, or Steven and you can play radio DJ, that could be another yeah, hat you wear. Why don't we try and get Steven on for you? He loves to chat. 
I've I've been trying. You know, Alex Grassi's put in the good word, but I know it's hard. There's a lot of jerks out there that try to get a negative quote, and I'm just I'm just not that guy. So I yeah. I, I never get taken personally. Right. Uh, why? Because it's different. It's Guns N' Roses. It comes with the territory. I, my exactly. The the only current GNR member I had on was uh, was Dizzy Reed, and that was for two minutes because he <laughs> overslept, and his wife was ni- nice enough to, and we taped it all to go into his hotel room and. I'm like, just get him to say hi. <laughs> so I'm like, just hi. just wake him up. Let's make it awkward. So it was an, it was a very awkward conversation between a sleeping sleeping Dizzeried, his wife, and uh, and Alex Grassi. But it made for good radio. That's yeah, it. that's fun. Yeah, we can try work on that, especially if we're coming back to the East Coast. Well, once I find out about dates and whatnot, we can we can try and line that up for sure. No, awesome, awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks again, Tanya, for for taking the time and just continued success. And then until thank next you time. so much. Thanks for your patience with setting it up. Oh, no, of course. I appreciate your patience for, you know, working with me. I'm just a, Great, you know, a, a nameless radio guy that reached out to you. So thank you. Oh, don't be silly. <laughs> <laughs> you take All care. right, dude. Thanks so much. Take care. So that does it for episode 86 of Appetite for Distortion. I hope you enjoyed uh, our conversation with Tanya as much as I enjoyed conducting it. You know, sweet, uh, sweet, sweet woman. And I really look for those who not are just going to uh, have like cool stories um, that, of course, relate to Guns N' Roses somehow, but are going to be good people, that you're going to get that vibe. And I kind of, I got that feedback uh, about Roy Orbison Jr. Like, what a cool guy he sounds like. You know, yeah, he had great stories, but uh, the person that comes off. And again, it, it just all starts with Guns N' Roses. So I appreciate all of you for, again, allowing me to have this platform to have these conversations to meet these different people. So please follow and subscribe on uh, the iHeartRadio app, on Stitcher, on Spreaker, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on YouTube, all of them. Because the more uh, numbers we put up following-wise, the bigger that we're going to get and the more that we're going to be able to do together. Because think about it. Now that we have a YouTube channel and Raz and I talk about it, what can we p- potentially do you know, in the future with that? You know, uh, interviews that you could watch, obviously. Um, And the more people know about this platform, the bigger guests that we can get. Uh, More episodes that you have to listen to that replace your your shitty, you know, morning drive show. It helps you through your, you know, I get it all the time. Helping me through my commute. Helping me, you know, uh, while I'm taking, you know, taking care of my kids. (laughs) I don't know if, you know, this show is a good babysitter. Uh, I try not to curse too often. Uh, or if it helps you like while you're at work, whatever it is. I mean, it's a unique podcast, unique show that starts with Guns N' Roses and we can go anywhere, right? You know, talking about earlier with you know, what the conversation we're going to have with Doug Goldstein about opioid addiction, you know, and the conversation we had with, with Tanya, what it was like growing up in Ireland. And it's like every episode, yeah, you know you're going to get GNR, but you have no idea what else you're going to get. And I think that's really cool. And I... Thank you guys uh, appreciate that because you wouldn't be here if you didn't. So again, uh, please follow, subscribe, leave a review, follow us on uh, on Twitter at the AFD Show, uh, Facebook.com slash the AFD Show. If you have a guest, I'm always open. I'm very um, a, ver- a very tangible host. I don't know a, that sounded weird, but I think you know you know what I mean. If you want to reach out by email, messenger. If you have an idea for a show, uh, please. Let me know. This is this is our podcast night train. So until the next episode, when is that going to be? Well, in the words of Axel Rhodes concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. No! No! Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>